0: The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. When he called me out of the grave, I was dead and separated from God. How many of you remember the day that he called you out of that grave? Can you just praise him for that? Uh, It was not of any of our works that he delivered us from the bondage and slavery of sin, but it was by his grace that he saw us, extended his love to us, and called us by name, and we were born again. That's something to celebrate, right? On this Independence Weekend, I think while we celebrate the independence of our nation, uh, what's more glorious than that to me is that I celebrate my independence from sin and bondage and I have been made a bondservant of Christ. Isn't that great? Amen. Well, I can tell you're enthused this morning. Uh, Jude chapter 1, actually there's only one chapter in the book of Jude. Take your Bibles and turn there with me. We started last week looking at this uh, letter from Jude, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, the brother of James. And I, I, I'm struck in this letter about how it is such an old letter, yet it could be written to the body of Christ today in the times that we're in. And it has extreme relevance. It's as if the Holy Spirit did a uh, did a time lapse with Jude and put him in our generation and wrote this letter to the church today. And we find application in the church, I think, more desperately today in Jude's letter than in my in my lifetime, I think, than than we have in the body of Christ and perhaps in all of history. Read with me, if you will, the verses 3 and 4 is what we're going to cover this morning. Uh, Jude writes and he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Capitalize that letter, the the T in the, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this morning that God, as we look at the words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit as you wrote them to that church early in those days, God, that we would see the application in our times and in our day. God, we thank you that that your word is not just an old collection of manuscripts that were written long ago and uh, covered by dust on the shelf, but God, your word is living and it is active. It is the very word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit, Lord, through inspiration as you guided men to write, Lord, what your heart is, what your message, what your plan of redemption is. And God, we thank you that, Lord, it is inerrant, it is infallible. We can rest our very lives on your word, God. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may be familiar with uh, probably one of the most prominent and famous spies uh, at, from Israel um, out of Mossad, that illustrious group 188, if you're familiar with the history of Israel and Mossad, the the spy organization, wing of the Israeli government, a gentleman by the name of Eli Cohen. Eli Cohen in 1962 had been recruited by the Israeli government uh, to be a part of Mossad and they needed to get someone into Syria that they might gather information, intelligence from this closed nation, very, very secretive. But they knew that Syria had the motivation and still has a motivation to utterly destroy the nation of Israel. And so Eli was recruited, and after years of training and going to other countries, Argentina in particular, to take on a new identity. In 1962, he was finally sent into Syria as an export and import tradesman, and in that time he had a lot, of, uh, a lot of letters from prominent Syrians in Argentina that he had taken in with him, people in high places in the government and in military, and I guess you'd say uh, those who were of the who's who of the Syrian uh, community. And so he goes in with the letters and immediately begins to make relationships with those that are in places of power, in government, and in social life in Syria, and he's able to make his way in and begin to gather intelligence on the Syrian army and their placements along the Israeli border. Uh, I've been there. Some of you were there with me last about this time last year, and we saw the location where the batteries had been placed there on the border's. And it was in 1965, after he had been there for three years, that he was finally found out and discovered by the Syrian government as a spy who had been sent in from Israel to infiltrate and to gather intelligence. As a matter of fact, he was sitting in his apartment, and as he was tapping out information and Morse code on his little device, they walked in and they interrupted him, and they arrested him there on the spot. And as a display of their defiance he was uh, he was he was found guilty without a trial and he was soon executed in Damascus hung by the neck but it was his information that he had gathered through his intelligence that led to such a great victory in the 6-day war when Syria invaded Israel and Israel was able to take on the Golan Heights you see they had They had planned it where they would infiltrate the Syrian government to gather intelligence. And that's kind of a picture, if you will, of what Jude describes for us of the body of Christ. Because he's writing to them to say that there are some within who have crept in to the body of Christ and they are defiling many by false doctrine and false teaching. The church in America today, in in my view, is in grave danger. And it's not in danger from outside, but it is in danger from within. I was thinking about that this week when I think of how many schisms, how many heresies have come into the body of Christ that would distort the truth of the gospel. And the gospel contained not only in the message of salvation, but in Christian living that oftentimes, most oftentimes, those things that come against the purity of the Word of God come from within the church and not outside of the church. Can I get a witness to that this morning? You see, we get up in arms oftentimes and we're afraid that culture is, is restricting the message of the gospel in Christianity. Can I tell you that it is? Can I give you some good news? It's only going to get worse. Jesus said it was going to get worse. And we shouldn't be alarmed by those from the outside that are attacking the message of the gospel, but where the critical issue is from within the body of Christ, where heresies and all schisms begin to rise up, and that is what destroys the message of the gospel within the body of Christ. Thinking about this, I thought... I thought I would rather have ten outspoken atheists in this congregation than one heretic who's spreading false truth within the body of Christ. You see, we need to expect That there will be those that come against God and come against the message of the gospel. It shouldn't surprise us. It didn't surprise Jude in that day. It didn't surprise John when he wrote his letters. It didn't surprise Paul. They expected it. Why? Because Jesus said there will be wolves in sheep's clothing that come into the sheep pen by some other way rather than the door who is Jesus Christ. So Jude writes to this, and he says in his letter, he says, I, I, I feel it necessary to write this letter. Look what he says again, verse 3, Beloved, though I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. I can imagine, based on the things that we looked at last week as John described those believers chosen by God, loved by the Father, that, that he might have been excited to write about all of the glorious riches we have in Christ Jesus. Don't you love hearing about the glorious riches we have in Christ Jesus? I'm sure that he wanted to write to them and and say that God has now set you free from sin and and you're no longer to be enslaved by sin, but he's he's emancipated you and he's given you the Holy Spirit and he has called that you might have not only life, but life abundantly in Christ Jesus. I love hearing that. I think he may have wanted to write to them that that there's no greater thing than love, and God loves you, therefore love the brethren and enjoy the fellowship of the body. But there was something happening at the time that he said, you know what, I've got to postpone this letter that I wanted to write to them that was going to be edifying in the sense of these are the wonderful things we have as a result of salvation, but it's necessary that I write this short letter rather than the long letter that I wanted to write to you. And what necessitated that is he says that there were those who had crept in, they, they, they looked the look, they walked the walk, they talked to the talk, but they were not of them. He says, I found it necessary. In other words, it was essential in that critical time that he write this letter. And I believe, folks, that it is essential in our very current day that we read the letter of Jude and heed the message that's in it, that within the body of Christ, within, there are schisms and there are heresies that are just absorbed indiscriminately, oftentimes because the messenger seems to have a great appeal and charisma rather than holding to the truth of what the Word of God says. You see, we are kind of a flesh-driven people. We are all the same. I like things that excite me. Amen? So every morning when I see Sandy, I get excited, right? Can I hear an amen to that? I like things that make me feel good. I like things that get me pumped up. I like things that are great experiences. But can I tell you that experiences are fleeting and they never bring transformation in people's lives. They're here today and they are gone tomorrow. I've been a believer now for about 37 years and an active part of the body of Christ. And in my 37 years, I have seen wave after wave of different methodologies that are experiences. And I look at the body of Christ and I say, we are decreasing. There's something wrong with that picture. And I think what's wrong with that picture is that we have moved away from declaring the gospel and all that's contained in it and the word of God and we have gone to a let's make them feel good, let's give them a list of 10 things of how they can practice modern day psychology and somehow try to mix it with the gospel and the consequences have been devastating in the body of Christ. Now I'm preaching this morning, okay? You see, it's the Word of God by the Spirit of God that only bring or can bring life transformation in the people of God. And so Jude again writes and he says, listen, I I, I want you to contend for the faith. Now that word contend is an interesting word. First I want you to notice that he says the faith. Not contend for faith, but the faith, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. There's a difference between faith and the faith. He's he's speaking of a specific body of beliefs that make up the faith that we hold to as disciples or Christ followers. He says, I want you to contend. The word can also be, be translated, I want you to agonize for the faith. And what Jude was indicating in this is that if we're going to be true as Christ followers holding to the very word of God, it is going to cause us to have to contend and agonize for the faith and the body of what we hold to as the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not going to come passively. We can't just have our Sunday kumbaya meetings and expect that that's a contending for the faith. He's saying that, listen, it is imperative because there are those who come from within who want to distort, to disrupt, to to bring false teaching, and we as Christ followers have to contend with for the faith, that body of beliefs, it was a word that was oftentimes used related to athletes when they would compete in the games. It's very similar to our word "agonize," and and it was where when they competed, they wanted to contend that regardless of what the price might be paid on the field of athletic athletics, they were going to win. There are some things worth fighting for and one of those things as the body of christ that is worth fighting for is the word of god we have seen in our age in particular that i that 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 there are such there's such a pollution of message that comes to us not only through pulpit and i'm not here this morning to bash folks i'm not trying to do that to elevate myself by any means but we have seen in the body of Christ a proliferate of messages that are intended to make feel good and somehow or another combine a, a message that is void of the cross that proclaims that men and women are lost and separated from God by their sin, and that sin has to be dealt with, and there has to be a repentance, a turning towards God, and there's a relinquishing, a giving up of the formal life, where Jesus says, come and follow me. It's come from within, and it's not come from without. He says that we are to contend For the faith. Now, he doesn't elaborate here as what he means by the faith, but it's very clear throughout the other letters written by Paul and Peter and Jesus and the Gospels that there is a body of teachings of beliefs that that Jesus taught and he passed on to the apostles and they wrote their letters that are sufficient that we might have the gospel message which contains the faith not only for salvation but also for Christian living or to be a disciple of Jesus he could have had in mind the clarity of what the gospel message is The clarity of the gospel message is not that Jesus came to make you feel good. Now, do I feel good in Jesus? Yeah, I do. But he did not come that we might feel good. He came so that he might destroy the works of the devil. And the works of the devil were that man has fallen because of a result of sin. And he is separated from a holy God. But God loves him so much that he sent his son Jesus to be a substitutionary atonement for him. That he went to the cross in our place. He shed his blood and he absorbed the wrath of a holy God against sin. And that the message is that if we repent to turn from living our life away from God, going away from God, we repent and make Him Lord and Master of our lives and we accept His atoning sacrifice for our sins, then we shall be born again and we have the hope of eternity in heaven with Him because God is going to judge the world for sin and it's coming. And those who are outside of Christ, who have not trusted Him, the Bible is very clear that they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. That's sobering, isn't it? You see, that's the gospel message, but it seems as though we are so afraid that we don't want to offend those who we are trying to bring to christ and the result of it i believe that there are many who have accepted a watered down gospel where there's no understanding that we are sinners separated from god and doomed for damnation unless we trust what he has done and we are afraid we will offend can i clue you in on this jesus said that they will be offended by the gospel it's a given I can remember before I came to know Christ, I was offended by the gospel. Friends that tried to share the gospel with me, I was offended that they would call me a sinner. I thought, I'm a good old boy from the south, right? We say, yes, ma'am, and we eat biscuits with gravy. And we open doors for ladies. It offended me. Folks, there's a fence in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and He has not called us to shy away from offending others. He's called us that we share the whole gospel so that some may come to know Him and be born again and saved from eternity in hell. And He says here, contend for the faith, that, that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now here he's speaking of the, the teachings of the apostle, the apostolic teaching of the early church. That there was the message that was contained in the gospel as God had revealed that to them, that they wrote it down, guided by the Holy Spirit, so that we might have all that we need for the gospel. And can I tell you that, that there should be nothing taken away from it nor should there be anything added to it. Listen to what John writes in his letter in Second John verse 9. He says, anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching, but goes beyond it, does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this is one who has both the Father and the Son. What John is communicating, that if there's anyone, and in this day it may have been itinerant preachers, it was very common in that day, and they would welcome them into their home, and John goes on to say, listen, if this type of person comes to your home, don't even entertain them, send them away, and we apply that to Jehovah's Witnesses, where we don't want to talk to them, and many reasons we don't want to talk to them, because we don't know the truth of Scripture ourselves, and it's hard to contend against it, that's a shame, right? I thought in our day today the message might be from John that if anyone comes, tries to come into your home via a podcast, via YouTube, via Facebook Live, via whatever the means and medium are, then, then we're not to allow them in their home. You know why? Because it's very easy to get carried away from ear-tickling kind of forms of doctrine. And all it takes is a little bit to get away from the gospel. And before we know it, we are far away. So he says, they're not of God. Then he, he begins to talk about these people in verse 4. He says, certain people, certain ones, individuals, certain people have crept in unnoticed. You know what the word there, crept, literally translates? They have wormed their way in. Now, that gives you a word picture, doesn't it? They didn't come in bold and brash. They didn't come in announcing, hey, guys, I have a heresy that I want to drag you into. He says they, they worm their way in subversively. And again, can I propose that it's what Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 1, that, that there will be those who are false prophets, but but they get into the pen another way rather than coming through the door who is me, Jesus. And he says they worm their way in, and, and they've come in to pervert, two things he says they do, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. We're going to look at that one first. Now, what does this mean? They, they pervert they twist the word of God they they may add a little to it they may take a little away from it they may have their own idea and impose their ideas on scripture and say well that 's really not what it means but it it really means this or or, or God has given me a new revelation uh, in accordance and on top of this and let me share with you this new revelation can I say clearly that God does speak to us today he speaks to our hearts but he primarily speaks to the Word of God and there's nothing that God God will say to you or me that does not line up with the Word of God. There is no new revelation today. Revelation was contained when the book of Revelation was written. And John made it very clear in that if any man adds to or takes away from the words of this book, let all the plagues that may be known come down on them. God has kept and preserved His Word for us. Here's a question. If God is all that He claims to be, and I'm, I'm kind of taking a, a devil's advocate role here. Maybe I shouldn't use devil's advocate word in church. But but, but if, if God is God, if God is the creator of the universe and He holds it all together, if God has created you and He can direct and govern your life, if if God is as powerful and as magnificent as we claim him to be, is it a very difficult thing for him to maintain and guard and hold the integrity and the purity of his word? No, it's not. So we don't need a new message today. We have all the message that we need that's contained in the word of God. He says they have... They, certain ones have come in to pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Now, this word sensuality is packed with a lot of different meanings. It, it, it can be translated licentiousness. It can be translated as license. It can be translated as debauchery. It can be translated as sexual excess. It can be translated, an insatiable desire for pleasure. And what these individuals had done, they had come in and they perverted the grace of God, using the grace of God to gratify all of their sinful and fleshly desires and say, it's okay because God's grace covers it. Where I sit many times in my office and Butch, you'll you'll agree to this Vicky you will other pastors when we counsel believers in horrible circumstances and situations that they've gotten themselves into their life you know the ticket they like to use all the time but the grace of god in other words as the grace of god was a license for me to get into what i got into and Paul warns us in Romans chapter 6, where he says this, what then, are, speaking to the grace of God, are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? He says, by no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either the sin which leads to death, or of disobedience, which leads to or disobedience, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. We hear in the body of Christ today a message that is God's grace will cover it all. Go and do what you want. Go and live the way that you want to. Because at the end of the day, God is gracious. And yes, He's gracious. And does God forgive by His grace? Yes. But I think it pains the heart of God to see His children wander off taking advantage of His grace and getting ensnared into horrible consequences of sin because we simply think that God's grace will cover it all. They had perverted the grace of God. Very clearly, one of the things that they had done was, was taken it to God's grace to the extent of sensuality, sexual sin. We wonder why in the body of Christ in the church today that we're having debates as to whether or not one who is from an LGBTQ, did I get that right? Now listen, I'm not bashing, hear my heart. God loves them. But that we're having the debate, are, are they able to be ordained as pastors and ministers in the body of Christ? Folks, it's not the world doing that to the church. It's the church doing that to the church. We wonder why our own kids within the church are confused about their sexual identity. Can I, can I give you my opinion? And you can take it, leave it, chunk it, or flush it. It means nothing to anybody but me. But I wonder, no wonder, because they have not seen the role model in the home where a mother is a mother and a father is the spiritual head of the home and leading his family as God has called him to lead. Rather, he wants to get sucked up in career. He wants to get sucked up in recreation, whether it be the golf course. You knew I'd get the golf course in there today, didn't you? or Saturday sucked into all the games, or whatever it might be, and he's relegated his family and left them to the world's devices so that it begins to define who they are, rather than God defining who they are. We have done that. That's why here at 1 we place such a premium that God places in the family that moms and dads are the primary disciples of their children. And that means moms and dads and can I include grandmas and grandfathers. That's why we have got to be in the Word of God ourselves. We've got to be following Him ourselves. We've got to keep close to Him. And we've got to take the initiative role in our home and our families to make disciples of our own children. It's no wonder that young adults are leaving the church by droves. It's because they haven't seen it in the home. All right. Certain people have crept in, perverting, leading to sensuality. And then he says that they are denying Christ. I think what Jude Means here in in the in the current context of this, that they were denying Christ by their lifestyle. You see, they were talking Jesus but living a different life. They were talking Jesus but going to licentiousness and sexual perversions, etc. In our homes today, it may not be that we deny Jesus theologically, but can I say that in our actions, oftentimes we deny Him in the way that we live, and we don't live in truth, we don't live in in transparency, we don't live in vulnerability, we don't live in honesty, and the things that we allow into our homes... It's no wonder that the message that our families are getting are very different than the message that they would get on Sunday morning. I know this is a hard message. Listen to what Titus said about or excuse me, what Paul said about these teachers when he was writing in Titus in chapter one, verse sixteen. He said, They claim to know God but deny him by their works. I had to stop and pause and say, God, do I claim to know you, but then deny you by my works? He says, they. this is, this is not going to win him a political correctness award. I can tell you this, what he's about to say. He says, they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. This is what Paul says about those who are false teachers. They're detestable. They're disobedient. And they're unfit for any good work. Peter writes in his letter in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, speaking of the judgment that will come on false teachers. He says, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Folks, there will be false teachers among us in the body of Christ. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who brought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. The other way that they possibly could have been denying Jesus is in the person that He declared to be, Himself to be, the Son of God. God, very God. The only way to God. You remember Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father by me. And I hear more conversation, not here necessarily, but generally, I hear more conversation. Well, maybe we've been too narrow in that maybe Jesus is not the only way. Maybe to the Muslim they can call him, uh, they can call him Allah, and, and and we're talking about the same person. Listen, Jesus was very emphatic. So this idea of ecumenicalism, that we're all a part of of one family, yes, we're all a part of the family of the human race, and yes, God loves all. But we as Christ followers have become the family of God in that we've been adopted by Him and it is an exclusive family meaning that when we come to faith in Christ by His grace and His mercy He has made us a part of His family. So the idea that that can't we all just get along and congregate? No, there are some distinctive differences and, and, and we don't Debate or we don 't give apology for those distinctions in hate and anger and rage, and the worst way to do that is probably on Facebook because you 're only speaking to the same people that are just like you and following you anyway you see it 's the message of the gospel that 's going to change the world. Let me conclude Paul writes to Timothy in first Timothy chapter six verses two to five. This is his instructions to his son in the faith. He says, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, meaning different than the doctrine that you've heard from me, as taking from all of the scriptures, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accounts with godliness, this person is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. He writes in his last letter to Timothy, just before he is about to be executed, Paul does And he writes, and he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The people that he's talking about are those who profess to be Christ followers. There will be a time and there is a time when the body of Christ does not want to hear sound biblical teaching. And if can I paraphrase what Paul's saying here, they will run off their preachers because they want to teach the word of God and they don't and they don't hear what they wanted to hear on that day to tickle their ears. This is kind of ad lib and it might be get me in hot water. Today is the day that we celebrate yesterday was our independence. Um, there's pressure sometimes in this seat to preach a good Fourth of July message, and and preachers today are at risk, and they're afraid not to teach a Fourth of July message because it's not what the people wanted to hear. And my thoughts in that, why waste precious 30 minutes on Sunday morning to try to fit verses to a theme when what we need to hear is the Word of God because the Word of God is the only thing that changes our hearts, that transforms us, and grows us into the likeness of Christ. Thank you. <laughs> Y'all hear where I'm coming from? I thank God that this is a body... Of believers that that want sound teaching that that you 're not looking for the person who might be the most charismatic, I do fit the most good looking category but not the most charismatic right in my thirty seven years as a christ follower folks It has only been the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God that has transformed my life and grown me in my walk with Him. And I am not near where I want to be or need to be, but I'm confident that by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God working in my heart, He will transform me and change me because I want to be like Him. The application, I guess, for us this morning would be this. That we keep the main thing, the main thing. And that you as a church body, you pray that God will guard the integrity of this pulpit that God will guard the integrity of every small group whenever we are able to resume that, that those who are teaching the Word of God would hold true to the Word of God and that we would be a display of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ and we would not fall to gimmicks trying to get them in the door, but that we would stand on solid ground and the apostles' teachings, and the Word of God that has been handed to us and declare that and hold that up, there, th- 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 that needs to be the case in the church in America. And may God move that all pulpits in America would come back to the Word of God. Father, we pray that as we, uh, God, continue in just a time of worship now, God, in response to your Word, God, would you move in our hearts. Lord, we, we, we need to be revived. God, I need to be revived. God, I'm asking and praying for a fresh touch. God, restore in me and in us only what you can do by the Holy Spirit. God, I can't manufacture. I can't make it happen. God, we desperately need you. Lord, as we call out to you this morning, and God, as we sing the song, I surrender all. And just a little bit, God, that it would come from our hearts that, Lord, we want to surrender all to you, Lord Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers dot com